I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 189, Cuomo, Healthcare, and Online Education. Well, those three topics are, of course, related. Everything in life is related. But here in this podcast, we're going to be considering them somewhat separately and distinctly. And I should say this podcast is a new interview that Captain Phil Merkel did with me just a few days ago. He got such a good response to the interview we did last week, and there were so many other things that he wanted to talk about that he said, can I come back to his show this week? And of course, I said yes. I always say yes to interview invitations, especially when they come from the inimitable Captain Phil Merkel. So, Here you go with the complete interview and a special treat at the end of this interview. Phil played later on on his show a poem from Rory Kelly, who has her own show Poetry Corner on WUSB Radio or somewhere. In any case, Phil thought that poem that Rory recited at the end of his show had some relevance to one of the things we talked about in our interview. So you're going to hear that as well, right after Phil Merkel's interview with me. Coming up, coming right at you, right now. The Light on Light Through podcast. With my good friend, uh, Paul Levinson, to talk about the news of the day. I had Paul on last week when we did a fill-in for... Bill McNulty, and we got into it. We got, we fell down the rabbit hole, Paul, because uh, we ended up talking about Isaac Asimov, <laughs> which was, which was a great pleasure, you know, to, to talk about uh, the Foundation trilogy and the Foundation uh, TV show that's coming up. But we never got around to talking about uh, the governor of New York, <laughs> Kathy Hochul. <laughs> so, um, and and of course the uh, the resignation of uh, Mario Cuomo. So, Paul. Um, where are you on this uh, this this topic, this issue um, that's huge story playing in the background in a season of gigantic stories? Yeah, it, it is a huge story. And I have to tell you, I'm very concerned about not just uh, the former Governor Cuomo situation and, and obviously the, uh, the, the serious crimes uh, that have been committed over the years, uh, usually men against women, sometimes men against men, uh, which the Me Too movement has done really a great heroic job in bringing to the public's attention. But, But I am concerned about one aspect of what happened to Cuomo and what has happened to other people, especially in politics like former Senator Al Franken from Minnesota. And what I'm concerned about is this. Uh, We live in a society where we and our ancestors put a lot of effort into developing a judicial system, which, as we all know, works uh, in a way in which, uh, unlike some other countries, you know, that have a more totalitarian bent, or even France, which isn't totalitarian, but, but here in the United States, as we all know, you're innocent until proven guilty. And it doesn't matter what the crime is. It doesn't matter whether the crime is pickpocketing or murder, you know, to, to run the gamut. There's this fundamental principle that if someone says, you know, somebody comes forth and says, so-and-so did this to me, that... Yeah, the first thing that happens is uh, authorities need to see whether that is a serious allegation. They need to investigate it. But ultimately, what happens in terms of the resolution of that accusation is the, the accused is brought into a court of law. The accused has a defense attorney. The accused is able to present his or her case and uh, either a judge decides or a jury decides. 
And that's an imperfect system for sure. I mean, juries make mistakes all the time. They acquit guilty people. They convict innocent people. One of the great things apropos of Asimov and science fiction, but apropos of science is the revolution in DNA identification, which has freed many people from prison who were wrongly convicted by a jury of heinous crimes. So the larger point is, I think, that Cuomo was never given a day in court. He, he was never given any kind of day. And again, I don't know what happened there. You know, I, I certainly think that the number of women who came forth and made these allegations certainly required and requires a significant investigation. I mean, I think just, you know, common sense will tell you that it's unlikely that all of these women made up stories. And of course, the, the allegations are very different, uh, you know, in terms of what he did to the uh, police officer who was working for him in the New York State Capitol, to just making people feel uncomfortable. They cover a pretty wide gamut of sexual harassment. And I, I just don't feel good about Governor Cuomo or anyone being forced out of the governorship without this fair trial, without basically going through this system, which we have spent centuries developing. And, and you know, the same thing happened to Al Franken. I, that's why I mentioned him. He's elected senator of Minnesota. It's then later alleged that years earlier, I mean, he didn't even, the allegations weren't even that serious. I think the worst thing that he was accused of doing is uh, he, he was on some comedy tour and one of the women who was on the tour with him was sleeping or maybe she was pretending to be sleeping. I, I have no idea what actually happened. And, and Al Franken made like some stupid gestures in front of her, like he was grabbing her when she was sleeping. And yeah, it was a, 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 it was a moronic thing to do, uh, whether he was a comedian or a senator. But I don't know, is, it, was that enough to get him to resign from the Senate again without a trial, without even a Senate investigation or a Senate hearing? And, and one other thing about Cuomo, which also bothers me, uh, I actually went on record as saying I thought Cuomo did a great job in the early days of the pandemic here in New York State. I, I think he did here in New York uh, in, 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 in those dark days of 2020, when we had no idea how we were going to get out of this, what FDR did in the worst days of the depression. And FDR with his fireside chats, it's generally acknowledged by historians. He, held the country together. He gave Americans hope. And I think Cuomo did that in the darkest days of the COVID pandemic. And I thought he was very, very effective and helpful getting on the air every day. I didn't agree with every single thing he said, but what I'm saying is the overall connection to New Yorkers and the American people and the information he provided was very helpful. And so I was, uh, you know, happy to see that he was given an Emmy for the work that he did. Uh, but I was not happy that the Emmy was just withdrawn a couple of weeks ago. And again, yeah, that's the, the, kind of a weird, yeah, that's kind of odd. It's kind of like closing the barn door after the cows have left. You know, it's, it, it, it's kind of, a, it, it's, that's that, yeah, that, that really, you know, I, I guess, I guess with the Emmys, instead of the Me Too movement, it's, wait, here I come, you know, movement, you know, a little bit, a little bit late, you know, I, I think, you know, they just waited till everything was done. But yeah, go ahead, Paul. Well, I don't think they should have withdrawn the Emmy at all. I mean, you, you know, look, this is a complicated philosophic issue. Uh, you, you know, should, for example, to use like a completely different uh, example, but it gets at the same point. Uh, should museums be hanging Adolf Hitler's art in their museums? And I would say that if the art was in any way judged to be 
good, not in a moral sense, but in an aesthetic sense, art, then yeah, you know, there'd be nothing wrong with the museum. They're not glorifying what Hitler did uh, in, as the Fuhrer, which was absolutely horrible. But, but why should a museum be prohibited from hanging anyone's artwork uh, for people to come in and make their own judgment and their own well, decision? The, that idea reminds me of the, the Fuhrer over Leonard Bernstein conducting Wagner in Israel, you know? Wagner, the famous anti-Semite, you know, and Bernstein championing saying this is great music, you know. So, yeah, you know, that's that's like an, an angel thing. You know, I, I when you were talking about Franken and Cuomo together, I felt that Franken um, fell on his sword too quickly. And Franken himself was calling for an investigation, which never seemed to happen with Cuomo. I want to finesse it a little bit more because. As a teacher, if I was accused of something that Andrew Cuomo was accused of, I wouldn't be able to go in front of a classroom until the investigation was done, okay? And that's just the way it is, you know? So the question about Cuomo is it seemed like there was overwhelming evidence, and I want there to be an investigation. I want the truth to come out, and and, and you know what? Uh, let the chips fall where they may. Um, either, you know, the accusations have merit I you know, my gut tells me they do um, either the accusations have merit and he should be you know they should follow through on whatever you know the, the legal the, the legal punishment is from there on out or they don't and he can run again but the calls for impeachment I mean I think this is the reason why he resigned I think he, he I think he was on the road to getting impeached and they would remove the his right to run for office again. And I think that's one of the main reasons why he he, he signed off. And I agree with you. Um, in the early days of COVID-19, um, he got up in front of the cameras and he was the only adult in the room. <laughs> it wasn't a hard job to do, <laughs> you know, but it was necessary and it happened to be him. And, and he, you know, being an imperfect vessel for this information, um, yes, he, you know, he... he he is this old school sort of guy, you know, he, he pointed to his Italian heritage, this is how he is um, but at the same time it was really important for someone to stand up and, and talk facts of course everything now is on the table, the book, money the nursing home numbers um, you know, all these different things because there's blood in the water <laughs> and of course the Republicans you know, really really want to make sure that uh um, there's a Republican governor in, in you know in, in New York State again, one of the one of the most powerful states in the nation. Um, and at the same time, the Democrats themselves are seeing that this is a chance to get out from under the the Albany machine, to have more people, you know, more progressive people, you know, in place at Albany. And there is a, a chain, you know, there's 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 a wind blowing, and the wind is from this younger generation. There's a lot of young progressive Democrat. Um, local representatives in Albany um, who are not part of the Cuomo machine. So it's it's difficult because he's not grandma's VCR. He's not right twice a day because the number 12 is blinking, you know. He, he, the, he wasn't all bad. He wasn't all good. So so the real question is, should he have resigned or not? Should he have, we have waited until there was an investigation? I, I totally hear where you're coming from, and and I understand it. At the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, was he able to govern during you know all this? Was this you know was he able to move forward with everything always being questioned? So, and when your own party starts coming for you, and the president of the United States starts coming for you, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Biden, Biden yeah. didn't really have much choice. Yeah, he, he originally said he didn't want to comment on it until the, the report, uh, the New York Attorney General's report, was finished, and, and then he, Biden, said he supported that. But I, I uh, by the way, I think it's great that there is a young progressive movement uh, in the New York State uh, Assembly and, and, and Senate. I think that's very, you know, powerful and positive. But I think there's, I think we need to make just based on that an important distinction. If you think about what happened 
for example, one of many examples, to Kevin Spacey. Here he's like an Academy Award winning actor. He's playing a lead role in House of Cards on Netflix. And again, allegations come forth. I think just from pretty much one person that he was hitting on a guy, might have been a minor in a bar. Uh, Spacey denied the, the allegation. There was never a trial, there was never a charge made against him. Netflix basically pretty much immediately fired him uh, from, and, and in fact canceled the show. But then there was such an outrage and an outpouring about why you're canceling the show. There, were, there was a lot of unfinished business that Netflix grudgingly uh, agreed to do a final season and focused on uh, uh, Frank Underwood was the character, I think that was his name, uh, in the series. So he died and his wife uh, was the focus of the final season and it was an okay season. But I'm mentioning that because as aggravating as that was to fans of the show, and I didn't think that Kevin Spacey got a fair deal either, what Netflix did was entirely within their purview. They're a private company, they have a right to hire or fire an actor uh, for any reason they choose. So I, I might not like it, but I have really nothing to say about it. I mean, all I can say about it is I'll cancel my Netflix yeah. subscription. Of course, I didn't do that because I like other things on Netflix. But what happened to Cuomo and what happened to Franken? And apropos what you were saying, you know, the, the, the new progressive movement, that I, as uh, a citizen living in New York State, I do have something to say about that because Cuomo is in office because I and X number of other millions of people voted for him. And to in effect force that person out of office without, a, you know, impeachment is yet a different thing. Impeachment is a legal process. That is the way we get rid of elected officials who are accused of doing in the case of, of a national uh, federal official high crime and misdemeanor in the case of New York State official, it's actually, there are more reasons than that to, uh, to remove a uh, you know, government official. But that process didn't even happen. And so what, what did happen is the votes of everyone in New York were negated. They were null and void because of these reports that came out. And again, I, I agree with you. You know, if, if, if my life depended on it, someone said, are the, uh, is there truth in these reports or not? I would say, yeah, from what, what I know, I didn't investigate it. So from what little I know, which is just what I've read and seen on television, yeah, I think there's some truth in that because it's highly unlikely what kind of coordinated conspiracy would have so many different uh, women coming forth. And if you, hold, if, you, if you hold up those women to Professor Ford, you know, from the Supreme Court hearings, where she came forward and, you know, against Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh, obviously, I mean, you know, and, and that entire thing was, I mean, whose heart didn't break watching that woman shake in front of the, the committee, you know, you know she and she's getting death threats and she's had to go underground and you know because because she came out against someone that the Republican president wanted and Kavanaugh stomped his feet and cried and talked about how much you know, how great it is to drink and this stuff and this woman had nothing I mean she had nothing to gain by this except the truth and this is a woman who has been living with this trauma for the, for her entire life and your, your heart, I mean, I mean, just, just you know, the whole issue with Jeff Flake, you know, when, 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 because they knew how it was going to go down, and, and, and you could see the conflict in Jeff Flake's face when, when he was confronted uh, by those women in the elevator. He knew they were right. And yet, you know, so it's, it's hard to parse what went down with Cuomo after the anger. And we, of course, it's, it's wrong to come from an emotional point of view, but this whole, you know, Professor Ford issue, we were furious. We were furious. Oh. And here is another powerful man. He happens to be a Democrat, but here's another powerful man taking advantage and basically the same situation, except he, these are adults now. These aren't like, you know, high school and college 
age, um, you know, kids, not sort of kids, you know, young adults. But still, um, it's it's very very similar. It's it's someone in power taking advantage of of uh, someone who is not in power. Um, so it's yeah. it's hard not to come after Cuomo with guns blazing, figuratively speaking. You know, uh, you know, this is the right thing to do. So, but I agree. Uh, it's it's really hard. I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because I agree. The choice of and I held my nose and voted for that guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In fact, I held my nose and voted for his father. You know, he was never a friend to New York State public school teachers. Um, I was uh, upset about what happened uh, when he was running, uh, you know, with the nomination against Zephyr Teachout, you know, and, and, and the working party's family. It was, it was dirty pool, you know. And in my mind, this is coming back to bite him in the behind. And I felt like the karma train <laughs> was coming into the station for Cuomo. At the same time, Paul, I have to admit, you are correct. The choice of the voters was set aside. Um, I, I feel really uncomfortable in this, you know, you know, situation. It's, it's I don't know what is the right. I guess the right thing to do would be to wait and have the trial, you know, have the investigation. But at the same time, they were working to impeach him. And of course, his political enemies, like I said, there's blood in the water. They're not going to wait for the trial to impeach him. They were going to impeach him the next day. So I personally, I think Cuomo felt his best option was to get out so he can run again. You know. Yeah, well, that could be. But you know, to, to get back to the Professor Ford situation, if you look what was happening there, here uh, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, he uh, is nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court, a lifetime position. So this guy is there until he dies. You know, to be there another 30, 40 years, or I guess oh. until he, he resigns. And so he was not yet in office. The, you know, there's uh, Supreme Court justices are obviously not elected. They're, they're nominated, they're appointed, and then confirmed by the Senate. And these were the Senate confirmation hearings. And right, Jeff Blake should be ashamed of himself. Yeah, he, he clearly believed what Professor Ford was saying and yet didn't have the courage to stand up and and do the right thing. And uh, again, I don't know what happened there. You know, I, I, that also would have been a decision uh, to not confirm him, which would have not given Kavanaugh the benefit of a trial in a court of law. And I think that's always not a good idea and always unfortunate. But at least... All that was was a confirmation hearing, uh, it, it, and a decision had to be made already. It was not overturning an election. And this, again, gets back to what you are just saying with Cuomo. This overturned an election. And, you know, I like Zephyr Teachout also. You know, she's a yeah. Fordham University professor. She's a colleague of mine. Uh, but you know what? I like the democratic process with a small d better. Mm. And I think it needs to be respected. And this, you know, of course, gets us into another thing, which I can't help but uh, mention and, and, and think about. One of the things, as we all know, that Trump did and is still doing, and his insane evil minions are still working at, is trying to undermine the 2020 presidential elections because they think the result was wrong. It's not what they wanted. So their way of going about it is they just make up lies. They set up, you know, what someone started calling fraudits, fraudulent audits. That's what they're still doing. In That's that, I have not heard that term before, fraudits. That is, you yeah, heard it here good. first, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> on WUSB Sony Brook. Paul Levinson, I give, I give you uh, <laughs> fraudits. Very good. Yeah. Let's get it. Let's get but, it on. Let's get it on a pinback button <laughs> and a T-shirt. I, 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 uh, well, to give credit where credit is due, I think I heard it on Joy and Weed. Okay, I'm not sure if she wrote it up, but it is a great word. Uh, but but what it clearly is going on is a frontal, all-out attack on the democratic with a small d process, which is essential to our freedom. And I see what happened to Cuomo as obviously not at all the same thing as what Trump is trying to do vis-a-vis Biden, but in its own way, it's an attack on the democratic process. And, And once again, 
someone who's a sitting governor, you know, of New York. Uh, by the way, the idea that a president can't be accused of a crime, that's not a law. That's just a, a Justice Department policy. I think it's a stupid policy and should not be followed. Unfortunately, Mueller followed that, and that's why he didn't further investigate Trump. Yeah. But to, to, to get you know back to Cuomo, I, I think that uh, it, it is it's not okay in the larger sense. It's terrible when it happens, but it's certainly reasonable and rational that a, that a governor, an elected governor, can be brought up on charges criminally and can be impeached. I mean, there's an impeachment provision already there uh, in, in the state laws. So that part of it is, I mean, it's bad if that has to happen, but there's nothing that's untoward or undemocratic about that with a small d. But again, pressuring someone like this to be removed from office, and I don't care if Zephyr Teachout thinks it's a good idea. I don't think if AOC thinks it's a good idea. You know, I agree with what a lot of what they say, but they're thinking it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a good idea. I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of dangerous anti-democratic baggage that comes with that. You know, I, I, I have to agree with you on that front because Democracy is messy. It's not comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to talk about this because, in my mind, I do see Cuomo as that arrogant boss who gets what he wants, and if he wants a secretary, he's going to go for it. You know, that's that's the image that paints in my mind. You know, and and he's he's thrown his weight around. The, you know, there 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 was there is a machine in Albany. It seems like things have changed or changing. There there has been progressives, but at the same time. Even the progressives will, I'm not going to say game the system, but they will look at the system and they'll ignore what you're saying, that the democratic process needs to be respected, it needs to be played out. They see it's a chance to remove this arrogant guy who's, who's you know, as difficult to them as any Republican would be. Um, and at the same time, it's also... Flipping something that for ages, you know, women, you know, women trying to get into government, women, you know, who are trying to get by, in, you know, in life and 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 uh, and just live their lives, have had to deal with. So it's a really uncomfortable place to be. But I think you're right. I think I think you know, even you know, warts and all, you have to look at the the whole big picture. And the whole big picture is, we're a democracy. We can't take a shortcut. And had we waited and left him in office, if he stayed in office until the impeachment went through and and the calls for removal and the calls for resignation um, hadn't been forthcoming, maybe that would have been a better way to go. And we'd still have Kathy Hochul as governor, governor you know, after he was removed via impeachment. Yeah. Kathy Hochul, by the way, you're listening to Captain Phil filling in for Mort here on WUSB Sonnenberg. My guest is Fordham professor, science fiction writer, musical genius, um, and all-around great guy, a, a man who spends more time with me on the radio than he does at science fiction conventions now, uh, Paul Levinson. Paul, uh, uh, while we're in the middle of things, I know you need to leave at noon. Uh, give out your uh, website credits and where can people find you on the World Wide Web and, and, you know, or, or take your class over at Fordham U. Well, let me just say, by the way, thank you for what you just said, apropos science fiction conventions. My favorite uh, part of ReaderCon was when I'd be doing a reading of Mal and Monet uh, or uh, Robinson Calculator, two of my re more recent novelettes, and you came by and you say, hey, would it be okay if I... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I said, are you kidding? Yes, do it. And by the way, I should mention, uh, apropos of what I'm doing, that uh, that novelette, Robinson Calculator, uh, something very exciting is going to happen with it. I can't quite announce Ooh. it until we have the contracts, which should be like in late September, early October. But uh, maybe the next time or the time after I'm on the show, I'll be able to tell your listeners what's or, happening. With or we'll book a spot today. for you on Captain Phil's Planet, which is more of a music and pop culture sort of thing and not so serious you know as as these sort of discussions uh, i'd love to have you back and uh, i do have some openings in september and october on the planet as well that would be awesome yeah if you got some great news uh 
I would love to talk about it there, man, and and take a break from all the seriousness. <laughs> oh, I know. I can't tell you. Well, here's here's some ways you can take a break from the seriousness, at least in terms of me. First of all, uh, my Twitter account is at Paul Lev, P-A-U-L-L-E-V, and you'll find me tweeting about everything, most of which, though, is my science fiction and my music. Not that many political tweets. Every once in a while, I can't help myself. I, I do have a political tweet, but most of it is uh, you know, popular culture in one way or another. You, I, I'll give you one of my web pages. That actually is just paullev.com, P-A-U-L-L-E-V.com. You'll find my science fiction novels there, my music, my nonfiction books, all, all that uh, stuff. And uh, last and certainly not least, my own podcast, Light On, Light Through, which you can get to by L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com. I may have misspelled it, but it's lightonlightthrough.com. Uh, and uh, you'll find all kinds of goodies there, reviews of new... You a huge interview, huge interview with the man in the high castle uh, there, right? That, yeah, well, actually, that's not yet on the podcast. I'm ah. putting that up. The interview with Rufus Sewell, who p- played John Smith in the man in the high castle, that you can find on my YouTube channel, where you can actually see Rufus Sewell and me talking for 90 minutes. Wow. Uh, and it's one of the best interviews. In fact, it is the best interview I've ever done. The depth with which uh, Rufus Sewell went into his role and what he was trying to convey. Uh, and, and again, not to get too far off into that, but as uh, Philip K. Dick devotees might well know, the John Smith character was not in Philip K. Dick's original novel. That was put in into the television series, probably by Frank Spotnitz, who was the creative force behind the first two seasons of The Man in the High Castle. And, and the John Smith character is an American who, after the Nazis win World War II in this alternate history, goes to work for the Nazis, which seems like a pretty horrible, traitorous thing to do. But as the character develops, we learn that he still has some humanity in him. He, he loves his family more than he loves the Nazis. And he doesn't just follow every Nazi dictate. So that is the the John Smith character in the Man in the High Castle television series is one of the most fascinating characters I've ever seen on television. And Rufus Sewell, the actor, was really into it. I mean, the thought that he gave, and you can hear this in the interview. So uh, if you want to see that interview, it's on YouTube. I also actually uh, published as a book, like a 75-page book, a transcript of oh, the cool. interview. So, so you can get that on uh, Amazon as well. Just search on Paul Levinson and Rufus Sewell. And as uh, one one reviewer said about the book, uh, Rufus Sewell is much more than a pretty face. There's a real <laughs> brain behind that. It's true. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, uh, Rufus was in um, my all-time one of my all-time favorite movies, Dark City, uh, oh, yeah. which is a brilliant movie. I love it so much; it freaks my wife out. Um, the music, the movie, and and, and it and it was a high point for the director as well because I don't think anything he's done since then has has re- reached that. But just just a fantastic. What is the world? You know, like sort of, sort of, and the movie really, really holds up. And if you get a chance to watch Dark City, get the DVD that has, um, um, which one was it? Not Siskel. I, I guess it was Ebert's commentary on it uh, from the old Siskel and Ebert movie review show. He does an audio commentary on the back, and he just explains like the art of film <laughs> and and yeah. what what a groundbreaking thing is. And and uh, and Rufus, and then now, and now I'm going down down the rabbit hole. Of course, Rufus. Is, that classic uh, movie as well, uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So oh, I, I know we, we, we I mentioned that in the interview. Yeah, that was great. Like yes, I uh, yeah I thought it was one of my favorite movies. And, uh, that's a, that's a brilliant movie. It doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I, I love it. By the way, another movie we're talking about these like largely unknown movies is a movie called I'll Follow You Down, and then it was renamed Continuum. It takes place in Canada. And it's a time travel movie. Ah. 
and uh, it, it basically stars Rufus in, in one of the major roles, and it's a very good movie. And uh, I saw that before Man in the High Castle. I saw that shortly after it came out, and I re reviewed it. And I pointed out that Rufus Sewell was very convincing as, as a character. So I'll have to check movie. that out. I haven't seen that, but I, I had I had thought Rufus was the lead in Dark City. I had forgotten. And so, as you were talking, I was I was IMDBing it, and but yeah, it's uh, it's um, and see how so great it is to talk about these more pleasant topics. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's better to talk about an absolute horror movie. Yes, than these <laughs> it's <a> horrible things. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but I'm I'm glad we touched on it because you know I feel there's a lot to unpack here. I also feel that um, the whole issue with the nursing homes needs to be examined. One of the things about the nursing home issue is that okay it's coming out that the numbers were cooked and everything and and you know i i mean we i have a history in this you know we lost uh, my father-in-law in a new york nursing home to covid right at the beginning of the pandemic um and the thing that that sort of um that that in, engages me in this is that this whole issue can't be hung uh, on cuomo himself i think if you're going to examine what happened in nursing homes, you need to examine the industry as a whole. The industry as a whole is set up to extract money from the suffering of old people and the burden of caring for old people by their younger, uh, by their children. Um, we, I, and, and we've set up, you know, our economy where both family members, my, my family, my wife and I both had to work. We both had to have full-time jobs. We both had to always have childcare. And we both had to deal with aging and sick parents as we went through our lives and, and had to care for them as best we could. And because we couldn't afford for one of us to stay home, that sort of thing like fell by the wayside. That's the thing that's not, a, not addressed in the big picture when you're talking about nursing homes. So I think, yes, the whole Cuomo, what happened with the nursing home, things need to be unpacked and looked at. But I think, we need to, I think we're doing us a disservice if we don't look at how the whole system is set up. And I talked about that on my own a little bit on, on one of the other uh, political talk shows I did. But briefly, Paul, um, um, if you want to touch on that for like a, a couple of minutes and then and let's spend some time before you leave the airwaves talking about Kathy Hochul. Sure. Well, I agree with every word you said about uh, nursing homes. And again, painting Cuomo as a villain, and again, for all I know, he did all the things that are alleged that he did regarding uh, nursing homes here in New York. Uh, once again, it's like going after a particular person, uh, again, without the benefit of a trial and just assuming that he is guilty of all those things. And I, and I, I think part of what you're saying, what I hear you saying, is that that's distracting from a much deeper, yes. pervasive problem, which I, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. And... Uh, you know, look, one of the things that we've all discovered, people at our age, is, uh, and, you know, especially when you have children, is you have children, you take care of them, you know, and, and then as they begin moving into adulthood, and you're, of course, getting older yourself, then you, you it's not as if you can, uh, you know, say a fine goodbye to that aspect of your life, taking care of people in your family, because then your parents get to a point where they need someone to take care of them. Yeah, unless and, unless we're living in the world of Logan's Run, you know, Paul, and we go up in the air and explode, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that, that, that would work. Um, so I, I think that this is a problem uh, all, all over the country. And I, but, I, you know, I also will say I, I wouldn't want to paint all nursing homes with that brush, uh, in fact, in my own family, my uncle, who, who just died a couple of months ago, not of COVID, he was in a nursing home, uh, you know, 90 years old, and uh, the nursing home took very, very good care of him. And uh, they didn't have a COVID problem in that nursing home, it's out on Long Island. And, uh, you know, before COVID, we would go out and visit him, and obviously after COVID, the best we could do is talk to him, but they set up a video connection. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, you know, there are serious problems with nursing homes, and we as a society would do well to look at what the nursing homes that do a good job do, because it's not impossible by any means. 
Unfortunately, there are a lot of bad apples in that industry, but you know what? There are bad apples in every aspect of human life. So it's, it's, they've set up one of the things I, I heard some reports on NPR about nursing homes, and one of the ways um, they monetize it is they, a company will come in and buy it up, sell off the actual building and property, and charge the actual nursing home rent to do the service in there so they don't become liable. For what happens in the nursing home and then they cut the services and cut the, the salaries or cut the staff and I literally talked to somebody on Saturday because um, there was a townwide uh, yard sale in Athens uh, and so my wife and I were driving around buying garbage <laughs> you know? and, and uh, but one of the places we stopped the woman was very flustered and she was tired and she was putting you know stuff out for sale and she was exhausted because she had done like a 12 or 16 hour shift she had just started working in the nursing home and and she was taking care of 44 or 50 or 60 residents because she was a registered nurse. So she was, you know, she had the qualifications to give out medications. And she was basically there either by herself or with one other person. <laughs> you know, for yeah, like, I, for like know. 30, 40, yeah. 50 people. Now, I, let me tell you something. One person cannot, I mean, I was a school teacher, okay? I had a classroom, I was in special ed. I had a classroom between of six and 12 <laughs> individuals. And I had staff in there with me. I had, like, assistants and whatever. I usually had two or three adults with me at any given time when I was teaching. Here's, here's a place where there's two, adult, two, two staff members and 30 residents. That's, that's wrong. That's got to be wrong. So it needs to be looked at. And this poor woman who we were talking to is just trying to raise a kid, you know, and, and just trying to get by, um, is being paid dirt wages, to do this very important job. So the whole thing needs to be deconstructed and looked at and put back together. Um, I agree. Absolutely. It's, you know, it, it's, it just seems like, you know, and it seems like we're, um, we're in a position where we were, we, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know the fifties were, were, were awful in a lot of ways, but in one way, maybe the fifties wasn't so bad was that a man or a woman was able to go to work and support his entire family. And the other adult would stay home and raise the kids or take care of mom who was sick or whatever. And we had that. We don't have that option anymore. And I think this is where we're getting into trouble with these things, where it costs too much to raise a family. You need to have, like, the double income. So unless you're Jeff Bezos and you get to fly around in rocket ships. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll throw in the abuses of insurance companies as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're about five yes. hours on that, but basically, I mean, frankly, I hate insurance companies. You know, they... Uh, they're great at one thing, collecting their premiums. And, and when it comes to paying out and, and doing what they're supposed to do, they have all kinds of people hired to get in the way of their making those payouts. And, uh, you know, I mean, medical insurances, and you think that medical insurance would be different from other insurance, but that's nonsense also. Um, f- for example, I mean, not to bore your listeners with details, but uh, at Fordham University, uh, United Healthcare is pretty much the only uh, insurance provider that we can get as employees of Fordham University, and, and, and they're okay. But basically, for years, my wife and I have been seeing doctors in the Montefiore Medical Center group, and uh, somehow United and Montefiore couldn't come to terms. <laughs> So as a result of that, I, I, it's okay. I, we had to change doctors. <laughs> so why couldn't they come to terms? Are you kidding me? And this happened right in the middle of the pandemic, like the worst possible time. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous uh, system. I mean, that, that's yet another topic. There should be a reliable national health insurance uh, option. That's what Obamacare is. But it's not strong enough and big enough to cover everything that it needs to cover. Agreed. I mean, it's so funny. I had a great discussion with uh, a friend of mine, a fellow Space 1999 fan friend of mine, at a progressive rock festival. And we were hanging out for dinner after the concerts. And we were talking about all these great bands that we saw. And uh, and his name is uh, Raja. He's he's from Indiana. And he says to me, Phil, I mean, where do you find these bands? These bands are amazing and, and, and everything. And I said, well... In a perfect world, none of these performers who, who we were just enthralled with would need to have day jobs because the reason why they're, they're working a day job is so they can have health insurance. Maybe if they want to be an artist 
and they just had dependable health insurance so they wouldn't have to worry about what's going to happen if they get sick. I mean, I mean, we've had fundraisers, you know, um, you know, for people, you know, who um, had to have um, had to have um, uh, their appendix removed in bands. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, they've had to have yeah, tribute concerts for, for like the basic care, you know, and 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 okay, maybe if you want to if you want to live the life of an, of an artist, that's your choice, but you shouldn't have to sacrifice your art because you need a kidney, <laughs> you know, or you need or whatever, just yeah. basic care, just the basic upkeeping care. It's it's funny you brought up uh, Montefiore. We, uh, my son had his major surgeries at Montefiore Hospital, and I I know it well. The worst parking <laughs> oh, yeah. on the planet. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I know, right? You went to the Gun Hill Road, Mott. Oh, oh, well, Philip had Philip had major craniofacial surgery there by the brilliant doctor, Doctor Goodrich, um, right. who sadly died of COVID in the beginning right. of the pandemic. But he did amazing work on Philip's head. And if we hadn't had insurance, well, if we hadn't had insurance, I think my son wouldn't have lived. You know, um, because he had to have surgery at six weeks old uh, because his his uh, sutures of his skull had fused, you know, prior to being born, and his brain needed room to grow. So it's it's these sort of choices, you know, people are forced into, and life can be just so much easier. And we do have the money for it. We dropped two trillion dollars, you know, into Afghanistan. There is money. There is money for things in our country. It's just we don't. Absolutely, we don't yeah. I want to have money for for that. You know. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, well, you know, there's a great book called Plagues and Peoples. It's written by uh, a University of Chicago historian, William McNeil, who died just a few years ago. But, he, you know, I think he was in his 90s, so uh, he lived a, a long life. And, and that book makes a very important point, which I think is, is applicable to what we're talking about now. What he talks about in that book, he says, is that there are two uh, kinds of predators that that we human beings are always in battling literally for our lives against. There are macro predators, that is other human beings, you know, maybe a serial killer or a whole country like Nazi Germany that's trying to kill us. And there are micro predators, which are viruses and bacteria that attack us. And, and so that's basically what the book is about. It's a brilliant book. But as I was reading that book years ago, and every time, you know, the, um, I find myself thinking about and talking about health insurance and so on. If you think about it, our society has no problem. And apropos of Afghanistan, as you just said, putting in billions and billions of dollars towards macro defense meaning defending us against human predators. And I think it's good that we do that because human predators can do a lot of damage. But when it comes to micro predators, then suddenly what? It's like everyone for themselves? You know, uh, somehow it's considered to be by some people uh, a misuse of government power to, pr to provide health care to its citizens. And most countries in the world are far ahead, as you know, of the United States in getting over that issue and saying, no, human beings in our country are entitled to be protected and treated uh, in, in, in a situation in which these micro predators, viruses and bacteria can make us sick and die, just as our citizens are entitled to be protected uh, by against macro predators like somebody with a gun or another country attacking us. Except here in the United States, what else is new? The Republicans, you would think that it was like you were forcing them to like, uh, you know, eat poison or jump off the roof. Anytime you bring up, hey, the government should provide more medical assistance. So, the people who also have lifetime uh, health insurance, you know, and yeah, exactly. and. And in some cases, um, Secret Service protection. Uh, you're listening to Captain Phil and Paul Evanson here on the Socialism Radio Hour <laughs> on WUSB Starting Brook. I'm having a great chat with Paul. I know Paul needs to leave at noon. We have about six minutes left. We never really talked about Kathy Hochul. Uh, Paul, uh, and we never got on to Afghanistan, so we'll have to save that for another time. I'm sure Afghanistan will still be there waiting for us. Um, but, Paul, uh, let's... 
close it out with some thoughts about Kathy. I've been following her on and off uh, for the last year or so. Actually, I was following her prior to uh, the whole uh, mishigash with uh, with uh, Governor Cuomo. She had been doing a tour of New York State, and I somehow got on her Facebook feed, and she would just go to. She had visited every county in New York. Uh, local businesses, whatever, and just did some photo ops and talking with people during the pandemic and stuff like that. Seems like a pleasant and very qualified uh, woman from the Buffalo area. Um, so what are your thoughts on Kathy, who seemed to be staying out of this mess until it was time for her to take the center seat? I think she's handled herself very well, and I think she'll make a really good governor. And uh, I'm glad she's from the Buffalo area. I think it's the second biggest city uh, in New York State. I, I think it's been decades, maybe even longer, since there's been a governor from Buffalo. And, uh, and I think it's also good that she's a, a woman. I like seeing women uh, in positions of power because, you know, we come from a society which uh, for far too long has shut women out of power. Uh, I, I hope that she runs for election after she finishes serving out foremost term because again, that, that is the best way to get into power. Uh, all too often, and it's a reflection of the prejudice against women, women get into these roles of power, they become senator, they become governor, either because their husband dies and they, they sort of take over the, the husband's seat because that's what the voters want. Uh, or in a situation like this, uh, where the, the uh, men behaving badly. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's unfortunate, but uh, that that that's the way that hopefully got into this position. But I'm uh, optimistic about what she will do as governor. I think she's a fresh voice. You know, she's very articulate. It says something that she visited every county in New York State. I mean, she's interested, obviously in the people of New York. So I, I think on that uh, account, New York State will be in for some good leadership in the next couple of years. I agree. I've always liked her her take on things. I've, I've watched her. It was, it was kind of an odd thing because when you read a government official's Facebook feed, like Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, you know, or Kathy Hochul, or my local, one of my local representatives, uh, Michelle Hinchy, you know, or Anthony Delgado, you know, from, from up here. Um, two things happen. There are people who are kind of sycophantic and they're like, oh, we love you, so wonderful. And then there's other ones like, you know, you're a socialist, you're a communist. <laughs> Those are the comments. But this woman, Kathy Hochul, would like be in front of a bagel shop in Schenectady or something, you know, with a photo op and smiling and, and waving or whatever. And and it was just a way to say, look, here's here's New York State, here's as lieutenant governor, okay, not as governor, as lieutenant governor, and the venom, just because she has a D after her name, was just unbelievable. And from where I was sitting, it just seemed like, yes, she 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 is qualified, she she's completely qualified, she has experience, and she to me she does the thing that Biden did. She had more conservative positions earlier in her career and she evolved as the people of New York State changed as you know the population changed Kathy changed with it she she's not just falling in line behind one ideology she's learning and she's growing as she goes along so I have a great deal of hope and I agree with you Paul uh, she I think she should run I think she has a great shot at winning I'm hoping that what we talked about with, with Cuomo, I hope Cuomo doesn't muddy the water and try to run himself. Um, I don't think he, he'll be able to. Um, but there are a lot of people, you know, it's really upset the apple cart. <laughs> there are a lot of people yeah. who are going to be scrambling and try to, you know, get in there. And I think out of everything that's happening right now, I think Kathy is really, really qualified. I think Kathy is close to the problems and is actively trying to solve them. Knock on wood. You know, the, we'll see how it goes. And uh, She's up for re-election in 2022, correct? That's right. So it's not too far into the future at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're almost at noon, my friend. Any uh, final words from Paul Levinson? Well, I'll, the very last thing I'll say is, you know, Fordham University is resuming classes this week. I'll be uh, back in my uh, class 
rooms, but as we talked about earlier, I think there's a lot to say about online education that's very good and very helpful. And I learned a lot in the last year and a half teaching online. It's not just a second best alternative that faculty and students have to put up with. It actually has some great advantages. You can have students from all over the world. Uh, you know, the, you obviously can record lectures, and that means that if a student misses a lecture, it's not the same as if you miss a lecture. In an in-person class, you can easily catch up with it. And, and in a way, I, I was thinking about, I've gotten to know my students online in some ways better. More students, uh, more interactions with my students one-on-one -on -one than in an in-person class. For sure, a student can come up and see me after class, but it's not quite the same and not quite as easy and not quite as fruitful often as a student sending uh, email and my responding. So I look at that as ironically something, an, an advantage in education that was learned the very hard way because the COVID pandemic is about as hard and bad as it gets, but something that maybe we can take into the future and enrich our educational system with more online teaching. Agreed. And, and I mean, personally, I think it's a little early. I actually think it's a little early to go full open with the schools, the whole argument. I mean, this is a whole other show we're here, but the whole argument about masks in the classrooms and stuff like that um, is, well, you know what? The numbers are going to prove it out. In the next week or two, we're going to be coming. We're going to be seeing uh, where the infections are popping up. And it's a shame it's come to that. And to go back to what you said about online learning, you know, there was, at the beginning of the pandemic, we're all bemoaning the fact that, oh my goodness, you know, we need the kids to be socialized, they need to be in, in school, they need this, they need that. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, I remember sitting in math class, and the guy behind me was poking me in, in the back with a pencil, or he was going to beat me up at lunch, you know, or and I couldn't concentrate, or maybe high school was great for the cheerleader, you know, or for the football star. But if I couldn't figure out what was going on in algebra class because of the kid sitting next to me was determined to like, you know, to argue with the teacher, the online learning, if you're truly motivated, if you're truly, you know, uh, there, you're in a position where you can actually really, really participate and really have a one-on-one -on -one sort of situation. And I know it's not ideal and i know kids get distracted or whatever but i think for the truly motivated and for the truly you know the, the, who kids who are truly working of course it, again going back to what we said about nursing homes it helps to have a parent around um i think there's a lot of potential there i agree i agree and i think it needs from the public school point of view you know from the from the from the um you know the public schools position i hope it doesn't get used as the union busting tactic to to put in, you know, a teacher doing classes of more than a hundred kids, you know, right. um, and so, so, you know, I think I think it needs to be managed appropriately because in the in the back of my mind, I'm saying, oh, the school district can now can have one teacher to teach all of the third grade English, you know, <laughs> and all of this and all of that, and they will be saving all this money and 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 whatever. So you that needs to be unpacked at some point as well. It needs to be dealt with, and and everyone I think needs to be at the table: the teachers, the parents. The uh, administration, as as well as at your level, uh, the collegiate level as well. Paul, thank you so much uh, for coming on and waking up with me. And uh, this morning, I'm sitting here having my first cup of coffee, having this great conversation. And uh, we had a we did get our nerd on um, with the man in the high castle, which was which was uh, a great talk. And I look forward to September or October when this news comes out of your work, and hopefully it's great news, and hopefully um, I will be seeing you at the Emmys or the Academy Awards in the future, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> the Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And here is the poem I told you about by Rory Kelly, which relates in some way to the conversation that Phil and I had about health care. Thank you so much for tuning in to Poetry Corner, brought to you by Rory Kelly and Monday Night Muses. Today I will be reading my own poetry to you. Um, I just wrote a new poem called Glasses. And real story, it is about how my glasses are very scratched and damaged, and yet I can't make myself pony up to buy a new pair of glasses. But 
but with drama. through windows on my face. They are scratched and scuffed and badly need to be replaced. And never can I make myself pull the trigger because what's a little thing like seeing clearly compared to the bills I have to pay to companies? A drop in the bucket for them. Days and nights of anxiety for me. Slowly, we give up our human needs to play a complex jigsaw puzzle game with time and money because our time doesn't seem to belong to us and we pile our pain and resentment into the consensual reality of money. A flawed and hurting construct that we shove all our guilt and ideals into. All that shadow work left undone. A psycho-spiritual dumping ground. And we wonder why money doesn't like us when we treat her like a virgin and a whore. Dirty and pure. Our unexamined expectations ramming daily down her throat. Money is in an abusive relationship with the world that made her, and nobody could blame her if she left. But she's an empath, and she soaks it all up, and each late fee accrued multiplies our self-disgust, until we can't even talk about it in an honest and specific way. Just bitter, blanket statements and sly jokes. We can sweep our shame under the covers, but then we have to get in bed with it each night. Do you know what that does to a person? Money does. Sex does. Brutalized inner children told to stop crying and man up. They know it and I know it and you know it too. And it's not like there is nothing we can do. But it's hard to break away from this rolling ball of culture at this point in its trajectory. Rolling boldly on, accumulating debris, absorbing you, absorbing me. We can't compete with the inertia, so we have to invent weird workarounds, trying to make our corner of this weird culture meatball feel like home when we find we can't get off. Our lives built on layers of lives that came before us. It's no wonder we're confused and can't keep up. And I can see this all clearly around noon on a Wednesday, but I can't make myself pony up for new glasses. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that poem by Rory Kelly. I, Paul Levinson, will be back here soon with another episode of Light on Light Through. September is going to be an exciting month. The Foundation series, after all of these years, after all of these decades, will be on a screen. It'll be on Apple TV Plus, and I'll be reviewing each and every episode that is streamed on Apple TV. That's happening at the end of the month. Between now and then, who knows what might happen. Maybe another interview. Maybe another television series I'll be reviewing. In any case, in the meantime, stay safe. Stay sound and enjoy. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. 
You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still codes about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 